0: Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Circe Podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Circe campus, you can text the word Circe to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. Last weekend was a phenomenal weekend for us. Thank you for bringing your friends and your family to just help us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So, it's so, so good. Today, I am going to start a quick series on the family, on marriage and family. And uh, we typically do this across the state in our campuses the weekend following Easter. We just uh, reinforce the importance of family and marriage and just parenting in general, and and there's so much content. I mean, I, I can't tell you how tough it's been to to uh, try to put this in, into sermon form uh, when you really get to digging around at how much content the Bible gives us in regard to marriage and family and parenting and relationships and all of those things. And so I'm going to try to hit everybody in the room over the next three to weeks or so and uh, so, no matter what your status is, um, I hope to to aim something in your direction that's helpful and beneficial for you this morning. Um, so, I want to um, begin by uh, just generally setting up the series. So today, there's a lot of just generality in my language, and I, I probably will not get through today. I'll probably just go until I feel like I'm out of time, and then and then stop. Um, again, for content's sake, but marriage. When we when we talk about it, this is one of those things that has been um, at least you know if if I consider my grandparents and my parents and now myself, it's like the past hundred years. There's been so many ideas and concepts and philosophies of marriage and what it should look like. Uh, even from the pulpit, uh, things have been defined and redefined and. And uh, we've, we've, we've looked at certain areas and said, how can we do better than that? And then in other areas, we're like, we just got to give up on that part. And, and it's, it's just been a challenge, I think, as a spiritual communicator um, for, I say that for every pastor or teacher, anybody who's taught on marriage, it's just, it's just a challenge. It's harder to preach about marriage and family than it is to preach about faith. And faith is a big O topic. And so um, when we think about marriage, it is without doubt one of the biggest decisions that you'll ever make. So if you're married today, you look back on that decision to tether your life to someone and it was a big one for you. Like you were like, this is it. This is the one. She's the one. He's the one. And you look at that and you go, man, that was a big choice. And maybe you came into a marriage kind of unexpected. You didn't know uh, what it was going to be like. Maybe you didn't have good role models. Uh, you didn't have pre-marriage counseling. You didn't have a merge program to go into. Um, you, you didn't have anybody to really talk to, so you just kind of figured it out yourself. Like You just kind of fought through it and tried to figure it out and tried to forgive each other and tried to make it work, and you did all these things um, that you felt like was the right thing to do for, for your marriage, and it was tough for you. And uh, I want to speak to that for just a minute because many can walk into a covenant, and they they just have little preparation. And marriage has been so historically challenging that there is an unprecedented amount of young couples now who are opting out of what we would call a traditional Christian marriage. And so there's so many uh, people now in their, in their late teens, 20s and 30s, even into their 40s that are saying, um, you know what, I'm going to try this a different way. Um, it looks like either from my own story or the stories that were ahead of me that marriage is so challenging and so hard that I'm not going to do that. And so statistically right now, cohabitation is actually higher than marriage, and so we've got in, individuals who are looking at the biblical model of marriage and going, man, that, that's a big step. That is huge. That is challenging. So why don't we just live together for a while, see if this works, um, or they get into big responsibilities in exchange for a vow. And what I mean by that, and it may not be an, an Ill, Ill intent or being re- rebellious, they just feel like if we do something big together, then this is going to tie us together. So they may buy a house together or they may have a child together, uh, pre-biblical marriage or cohabitate on the premise of going, let's just test drive this and see if we can get along. Let's see if we can live life together, if we can raise kids, if we can tackle a mortgage, um, if we can put up with all the pressures of life, but let's do it without the legal obligation or, pastorally speaking, and this is a big component for me, is to go, we're going to do it without that spiritual covenant. Like, like we're going to be together, but there's not going to be, like, vow, covenant, uh, unlimited, unconditional, unlimited kind of, kind, of, kind of talk here. Okay? And so, having said that, marriage is in no way easy. So I think in some way, if you are not thinking spiritually about marriage, then yes, you do look at it and go, I think cohabitation is easier. Or let's just buy a house. You know, let's just double our income, and that alone makes life easier. Um, If you remove the spiritual component, there's a lot of that 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 would make sense. But if you're looking at it through the lens of what is God saying what is he wanting? More importantly, what is he teaching me about himself through my own marriage? And you miss all of that. Then you've really missed the biggest point of what it means to be married. So it's not easy, but it is rewarding. And we will continue to teach a biblical, bo- uh, a biblical model of marriage as God's way of both starting and sustaining the family. One of our pastors, he was recently talking to us, and he, he has a farm. He inherited it, and it belonged to his grandfather and then his parents and his parents deceased, and now he, he got it. It's his farm. And he said, so my whole life I've known this farm. And he said, and when we drive up, like two markers on each side of of the road, there is a shack on one side and a house on the other, and they face each other, and you kind of drive in between them to hit our property. He said, they've always been there. And he said, so when my grandpa took me, when I was a kid, there was a shack and a house. Um, When my dad takes me, it was a shack and a house. Now taking my boys out there to fish and hunt, there's a shack and a house. And as y'all know, we've had kind of a a windy spring right, right now. We've had some weather come through. And he said, so we drive out there recently, and the shack is like flat. And he said it was so shocking to me because I pulled up, and for the first time in my life, I saw that entry without the shack. And so the shack is flat, and the house is still standing, and it w- it broke my heart. He said because it had always been these twin markers of going into our property. It's like like a welcome mat. He said, but man, I got to looking at it, and I realized that like that shack was built to be a shack. It was built to cover implements a long time ago, and that shack was built to house people and children and love and laughter, and and to let people make, make memories in. And so it's still standing. The point to that little story is this. It matters how you build something for the purpose that you want to use it. So when it comes to marriage and family, don't be tempted to build a shack so that it looks strong. You want it to be strong. And so it matters how you build your home, and it matters what intent you are building your home. Uh, it's got to be based on values and, and, and these core beliefs that are tethered to Christ so that when the right storm comes, it can still stand, right? And so when we think about this, I, I want you to just consider over this, this short series the strength of your house, the strength of what you're building, and why you even are building it in the first place. Now, This June, Robbie and I will have been married for 22 years. I always say this, but it's very true. We've been happy for about 20 of those, okay? And uh, for her, it might be 15. I don't know. But um, our first year of marriage was very interesting because I I worked a three-to-midnight shift, and she worked an eight-to-six shift, and we never saw each other. So it was bliss, right? I mean, we never, we never argued, we never fought, we'd get a dinner in there. It felt like, like dating, and so uh, we never saw each other for the first year. Second year of marriage, we moved away, and I've shared this story with you many times, but uh, we had a 700-square-foot apartment. And, um, you know, you you couldn't really fight there because there was nowhere to run off to. You know, you didn't like, I'm going to go spend some time in my office or my private den to get away from you. You just kind of turned your back on them and, and didn't look at each other for a while. But I came home one day and she was sitting in the bed with sheets pulled over her head. And, uh, I said, Robbie, what's, what's going on? What's, what's the matter? And she said, I want to go home. All this was under the cover, like a little ghost sitting on the bed. And she said, I just want to go home. And so I did. I packed up. We called the U-Haul place, called our parents, said we're coming home, find us a place to live, sight unseen. We moved back here. And, um, it was just a tough, tough second year. And, and that's just a, a one example of many, many challenges over the years. And you've had those same challenges. So marriage is, is very, very difficult sometimes. And when, when we look at it, you think about your vows. Most of us traditionally, you stood together. You either wrote vows and they meant something very special to you, or you had a pastor uh, lead you through some vows, and I always love that moment when I'm doing a wedding and and they're exchanging vows, and sometimes it just feels so holy. That I feel like, you know, I need to like take a step back from him and just let them be. Just like the two of them and God and me, like instead of triangulating in, I just want to step out and let the two of them be with, with the Father for a minute. And it's, it's good. And you see like people crying and as they're talking out to each other from a place of depth, it's like the, the, the tears, the energy, the emotion, the level of commitment kind of just comes out in these words that they've written, or as a pastor, that you're walking them through. This is a covenant, an exchange. And these words are powerful. Traditionally, you know, we've said things like, for better or worse, if we're rich or if we're poor, if you are sick or you are healthy, I'm in this with you. That's powerful. It's strong. And maybe now, this morning, like, you're in the middle of that vow. And it's tough. Because you are between a better and a worse moment. And you're like, man, this, this is so hard and so possibly painful for you. And So maybe you're here this morning and you look at, at your marriage and you start, as you start to hone in on what I'm talking about this morning, you feel like you're in a dark or hopeless place with a relationship that started with you committing it to God. And that alone becomes a dichotomy for you. It's like, Lord, we dedicated ourselves to you. We did this spiritually. We did this legally. We did this before God and man. And now it's not easy. And maybe your marriage is not on the brink of divorce, but it's distant. Like you're married, but you're more like roommates. Like you share responsibilities, I get the kids on Monday, you pick them up on Tuesday, I'll follow back up Wednesday, uh, what's for dinner tonight, I'll get the yard mode this afternoon, and you, you've divvied up responsibilities well, but there's no connection. Maybe everything for you, it appears great, but it's not fun anymore. Like you've, you've lost the zeal, you, you've, you've lost the, the laughter in your marriage, And maybe your home is just stressful. I mean, you think about always trying to be honoring and forgiving and restorative and and gentle-spirited when we live in this pressure cooker that we live in of the society that we've created. Very, very difficult. So maybe you went from newlyweds to having two or three or four kids two careers, you bought a house, you got a student loan, you survived Christmas on a credit card, one of the kids always seems to be sick, and you just don't have time to think about each other. The comedian Jim Gaffigan, he had three kids, I think he's got five now, but he had three, and he had just had a fourth, and he was telling his audience, he said, you know what it's like to have four kids? Imagine yourself drowning And somebody hands you a baby. He said, that's what it feels like. And maybe that's what your home feels like. Like you're drowning. Like like you're spinning plates, but at the end of the day, you would rather go to bed than have a cup of coffee and a conversation with your spouse. It's like, I just, I'm tired. I just want to go to bed. And so the laughter has dialed down, the joy of it has dialed down, and you are just loaded down with responsibility. So today what I want to do to set up this series is I want to look at a very special letter written by one of our heroes of, of, of the faith. Paul is the author, and he's writing to the church at Ephesus And so I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bible or Bible app if you want to follow me. And while you're going there, I want to talk to you quickly. I'm just going to give you a short context of the city of of Ephesus. I'm doing this because if you don't have context of the original audience, you don't have anything. You got to know what is he saying to this original audience in his original writing to know how that reflects to us today. So the Apostle Paul is writing to Ephesus. This is a city that he loves. He cares about these people. They are new believers. They have a new church. And Ephesus, at that point, is where modern-day Turkey is today. And it was thriving. It was influential, a very influential city in Asia Minor. It was a major port city for the Aegean Sea. So very busy, a lot of imports, a lot of exports, a lot of jobs. This city was wealthy, it was cosmopolitan, and it was very paganistic, all right? So prostitution, adultery was not only common, but it was very accepted. It was almost expected that at some point in your life, you're going to talk about prostitution or adultery. It was just part of their city. So Paul has to step in and talk to them, okay? There was a temple there of of Artemis, the fertility goddess, also called Diana. This temple of Diana was one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. I only say that for you to know. This is not some shabby little sanctuary tucked away on a back street, okay? This is something that for generations of time, people said, that's in the top most seven impressive things I've ever seen in my life. So how I teach that is this was obviously something important to their culture. They, want, they, they, they were proud of it. They wanted the world to uh, know that this is how we believe, this is how we live our life. There's a fertility goddess, and we commit adultery, and we prostitute ourselves out and give the money to Diana. So as we read this, I want you to consider what the Apostle Paul is saying to young Christians, all right? Now, Ephesians 5, verse 22 and before we hop into this, I'm going to tell you, stay with me, okay? Do not turn your mind off when I start reading this because I'm going to explain it, all right? Ephesians 5, 22. here we go. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. Again, he's just establishing leadership. He says, your husband, I'm calling him to be the tip of the spear. I'm calling him to lead this home. I'm call, if, there, if there's a fire, he's the first one through the door. Uh, he is going to be the one to bear the brunt of the leadership of your home. And then he goes on to describe Jesus more. He is the savior of his body, the church, verse 24. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. For husbands, verse 25, this means love your wife. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy. Verse 27, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or blemish. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but he feeds it. He cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church. We're members of his body. And then he goes into verse 31. As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife. The two become one. And he says, this is a great mystery. Like we don't even know what this means, he says. But it is an illustration, he says, of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man love his wife as he loves himself. And watch, he's gonna change his language here. And the wife must respect her husband. Strong talk to a community that is engaged in sketchy stuff. So he's like, listen, if you want to love the Lord, if you want to really follow Jesus, this is what he's saying, then these things have to happen. And he uses this word submit, and I'm going to teach that out in just a second. But he's saying, listen, you've got to submit, and husbands, you've got to love. And so, yeah, there's, there's an order here, but... But you've got to take this and each do your role. And when you do that, there's going to be balance and you're going to be able to win. So again, in generality, let me talk this out for a second. One of a husband's deepest needs is to be unconditionally respected. When a man is huffing and puffing and defensive, there is something else going on in him And it's this need in him to have respect. And it's like his huffing and puffing and pacing and red face oftentimes is a result of going, I don't feel like you respect me in this. I feel like you you look at me and you think I'm, I'm a joke. You think I'm a paycheck. But what I need you to do is just respect my opinion on this. Respect that this is the way I want to lead our family. Can you just get behind that? That's what this huffing and puffing is. But again, in generality, a woman's or one of a woman's deepest needs is to be unconditionally loved. So a lot of times when there's criticism or crying, it also comes from a deeper place of saying, I I don't feel like you love me on this. I don't feel like you value me. I feel like I'm somebody that you want to give directives to or you just want me to help you with your own vision for this. But I'm I'm not loved in this family. I'm just dragged along based upon what you want to do. So a man needs respect and a woman needs love. And it's as simple and as difficult as that. So sometimes we look at it the wrong way. And these are things that I hear when I'm talking to couples Husbands will say, well, you know what? I would love her if she respected me. And it starts this cycle of of, of an if-then statement. If you respect me, then I will love you. Well, the wife would say, I would respect you if you loved me. And so you've got these cogs that are not lining up and they're in different directions, and they're not pushing any power uh, out of of the marriage. They're, They're combating each other, and they're creating tension, and they're just winding up tighter and tighter and tighter rather than there being synergy and them connecting and actually doing something that's efficient because one doesn't feel loved, and one doesn't feel respected. Gary Thomas, he wrote a book, I read one time, a lot of you have read it, but it's a book called Sacred Marriage, and he makes this strong point in there. It actually, my first time going through it, reading it, it it blew me away, and I've adjusted to that now and made made it part of my own, but he makes this statement. He says, what if God designed marriage not to make you happy, but to make you holy? And when I look at that, I compare it to this this letter because what Paul does so brilliantly in this is he says, husband, this is your role, wife, this is your role, and let's do it as Christ would do it. He connects us back to the bigger picture of going, do you really want to know what marriage is all about? It's, It's not mortgages, and it's not children, and it's not cohabitation. It's not even you being happy. It's me revealing to you how my love is for you. Because what I want you to do is spend your entire life loving someone and forgiving someone and restoring someone who is not perfect in the same way that I'm loving you and forgiving you and restoring you, and you're not perfect. So I think Gary is onto to something when he says, listen, maybe your marriage is not about I'm not happy anymore. It was never for you to be happy. It was for you to be holy. It was for you to understand, this is how the Lord sees me. And when I'm cantankerous, and when I'm rigid, and when I don't feel loved, and when I don't feel respected, and I want to throw in the towel, there is one who loves me through all of that. And he's saying, that is what it means to be in covenant. It's beautiful when you think about it. What if our marriages are truly revealing God's character in us. So husbands, listen, you are called by God to unconditionally love your wife. And wives, you are called by God to unconditionally find a way to communicate respect to your husbands. So I've got a minute and a half to finish. I told you I wasn't going to finish, but I do want to cover this one word, and that's submit. Okay. We have done a terrible job with this text. We have fought about it. We have argued over it. Scholars have gone berserk on it. Entire denominations have been forged around it. And the imagery that we saw in our Western eyes when we read this was we loved the word submit. And suddenly we got this imagery of like, okay, what you're going to do anytime I say anything is you're going to fall down and you're going to kiss this ring right here. And you're just going to submit. Okay? Now listen, I'm, don't shoot the messenger. Jesus is the one that wants it. It's not me. If you're against me, you're against him. And we loved it, right? We brought in the word. We brought in scripture. We said, hey, listen, I, you know, God is the one saying it. You just need to submit. So, you know, if you don't, I'll just, you know. And we view this like, like a tap out, okay? So imagine your husband has you in the headlock and he's got you, and he's like, you better submit, you better submit, and suddenly you're like, oh, okay, okay, and you tap out, and he's like, all right, that's what I thought then. This is how we have taught this, and it's terrible and unfair because now what, what, what we have are generations of women who say, that is what marriage is? Kissing the ring and walking out you know, with my head down out of every room you're in and just being a yes person. But we totally missed this. Again, we just, we just took the word submit and what it means in our language, and we didn't take it back to its original. So let me do that and free somebody, and then I'm going to pray over us. This word submit, when you chase it down, when you look it up, this is what it means. It's support. It is is a a word that means to support. This is why, in the end, Paul says, So respect your husband. So, this word support is, it changes the whole context to say, Wives, just support him. In other words, lift him up, encourage him, be wind in his sails. Speak life over him say to him, listen, me and you, we got into this, and nobody can mess this up except me and you. And I'm in it, and you're in it, and we're gonna win this thing. And any time that he's just just down, defeated, again, re- remember, he's the tip of the spear in your home. If he's doing his job right, there's gonna be some times that he's exhausted. He's got to be able to lean into you and you go, we're gonna get, get, get through this. This has zero imagery of you kissing a ring and bowing out and Tapping him and saying, okay, I give, I give, I give. It's nothing like that. As a matter of fact, the word comes in as foundational, almost to the point where the imagery can be that he can stand on you and feel the strength of that support. That when I'm down, I know I've got a haven at, at at home. I don't need a servant. I don't need somebody I can give directives to. I don't need somebody I can point at and say, hey, Jesus told you to just say yes to everything I I create. Incorrect, out of context. What he's saying is let your wife speak life into your home, speak life over your children, be a source of support and strength, and there's never going to be a guy who leaves that conversation of you and me are in it, I'm in this with you, My eyes are on you only. I know you've had a tough day, but we're going to make it through. No guy ever leaves that and goes, I feel so disrespected. No. You know what he leaves saying? I'm so glad I'm in this. I'm so glad I'm in this. So wives and husbands both, you got to let that Western imagery go of a tap out. Okay? Now, I have four points today, but I'm scrolling all the way to the end because I'm out of time, and I'll, I'll talk about them next week. Let me end with this, then I'm going to pray over this. Husbands, hear me. You do not need a better wife. You need the wife you're with right now. Stop looking. Stop searching. Stop getting on the Internet. The wife you're with, cancel your Tinder account, okay? You need the wife you're with Wives, you don't need a better husband. The one you're with, the one you're in covenant with, the one you've made commitment to. But I will tell you this, we all need more of Jesus in our homes. We need his restoration. We need his ability to forgive each other. We need his ability to restore each other. We need his ability to speak life. We need his ability to hold hands and make it through tough seasons. We all need more of Jesus, but we don't need a different person. So listen, if you've blown your marriage, if you're here today and man, you're like, man, my marriage, gosh, you don't even know. Man, there's still hope for you. Okay, God God sees you. Again, the symbolism here is God saying, "I, I am with you and I'm gonna love you. And your marriage is not about you being happy. It's about you being holy. It's about you seeing me more clearly. And here's the hard talk but if there's been adultery in your marriage or abuse or neglect or bitterness or selfishness or lust God, God can forgive you right now not after you've seen a counselor not after you've gone through a program not after you've done this or that but right now you can go to the Lord and say man I have made a mess and I need you to forgive me because in the end this marriage you're in is about holiness Okay. people can choose to cohabitate and have children and, and buy homes but it's, it's different that, that's, that's like a, a relational plan a biblical marriage a covenant marriage is where you, you get God involved and you say this is not about me anymore it's not about my life this is about our lives and I want, I want God involved in this I don't need a relational plan. I want a godly marriage. There's a big difference. And I hope to point that out over this series, but let me pray over you. God, I love you. I thank you for your people. And I pray today for every marriage in the room. For every person who might right now just feel overwhelmed just by talking about this the past 30 minutes. And God, I ask you, that your spirit just be in this room to begin to heal people, to speak life, to restore. God, remind all of us that our, our spouse is a symbol of how much you love us. So, God, we choose today to forgive. And we choose to love deeper. We choose to come closer and not further apart. We choose to love. We choose to respect. And, God, we let go of this ridiculousness of just tapping out and kissing the ring that's not your view of marriage. We each have a role. We each play it. And we win because we do it. So thank you for every home. Bless our lives today, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stay with me all across the room today. If you're new with us, let me just explain to you. We're gonna sing this last worship song as we do. There's two tables in the very back of the room and you have the freedom to get out and move. And so I want you to know that you, there's prayer cards back there. You can write down a prayer request. We pray about them all week long. There's also self-serve communion. So you can get that for your family. Come back to your seat, serve it to your, to your family, your kids at any point. And we just want to take this next three or four minutes just to be sensitive to what the Lord is speaking. Maybe this message struck a chord with you. And this is a good time for you to just go, Lord, start something in me. Start something in me. Turn a page. If he revealed something in your life today, this is a great time to go, Lord, help me to do that with strength and courage. All right. Let's worship the Lord together. Amen.